Previously on Space Train, Doug and the cadets battled the Rocket Man and his fistbots. Just as the action reached fever pitch, the Rocket Man turned on the filter ship, hoping to suck the purple rocket out of the air. But instead, the filter ship became a powerful magnet, pulling in everything that had metal. The fistbots, the fish ship, the Space Train, the Rocket Man himself, and the Purple Rocket. And now for Season 2, Episode 16, Payback. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. It's time to be the hero. Doug couldn't believe it. He stared at the strange collection stuck along the side of the towering filter ship. The space train, fist spots, fish ship, Goro, the rocket man, and the purple rocket adorned the top of all the trapped things like a star at the top of a Christmas tree. Doug blinked at it. The purple rocket was real? Did it really do what the rocket man said it did? The rocket man's furious cries interrupted Doug's amazed stupor. Get me off this thing! Now! Turn it off! The rocket man struggled with all his might, but his bulging muscles were no match for the enormous force of the magnet that kept his metal gloves and chest plate pinned to the ship. The cadets ignored him. Doug? Lydia looked up at the rocket. Should we... Doug nodded. He, Leo, and Lydia left the students in Gorfies by the crystals and jetpacked off the ground, passing twitching fistbots on the side of the ship as they flew. Towards the top, they passed Goro. We'll get you off in a minute, Goro, Doug assured him. Take your time, Captain. I'm quite comfortable. Dallas jetpacked off the space train roof to join them, and together they continued up and up until the jet engine-shaped ship started to curve at the top. There, as if stuck to a metal hillside, was the purple rocket. It was much bigger up close, about the size of a commercial airplane from Earth. Only there were no wings, just razor-sharp fins towards the back, a rocket engine, and an impossibly slick purple surface. The point at its front was so sharp, Doug was sure it could pop a balloon. He ran his hand along the side of the rocket. He was warm and smooth. It vibrated under his touch, either from the hum of its engine or perhaps the magnetic pull holding it there. 
Suddenly, a circular door like a giant focusing camera lens opened next to him. The cadets looked at each other before floating inside. As Doug's jetpack shut off and he stepped onto the floor, his eyebrows shot up. The entire tubular interior was made up of screens, thousands of them, all forming a patchwork of flashing images. Colorful light reflected off the cadet's spacesuit head bubbles, illuminating their shocked expressions. Is that? Lydia walked over to one of the screens that was showing footage of them celebrating Blobby's morphing on Gorf. Look! Doug pointed to another screen on the curved wall. This one was showing footage of Doug rebuilding Goro in the space train after they were destroyed in their fight against the Doctor. Dudes! Dallas pointed to a screen that displayed their mission to Mars, where he surfed the wave that came crashing down from the broken dam. Man, that was sick. Leo took off his sunglasses and watched a screen, replaying their mission on Brinthia, where he led the way, solving the planet's traps and puzzles. Everyone scanned the seemingly endless screens, all displaying heroic footage of their missions. Doug stopped at one somewhere in the middle. It was outlined by a red neon light and had the word LIVE glowing above it. Guys, check it out! The others came running over. The screen showed a live feed of them, looking into the screen. Dallas glanced around. Okay, this is getting weird. Where are the cameras? Doug shrugged. I don't know. All over, I guess. Leo suddenly ran down to the end of the rocket and then back up to the front before returning to the group. Dallas looked him up and down. Thought now would be a good time to get in some exercise? Leo rolled his eyes and shook his head. Then he wagged his finger at the group and motioned to his body. Dallas scrunched his face. You can't find a shower? Lydia elbowed him. He's saying there's no one else on board. It's just the rocket. Doug pointed back to the live feed. But why? Why is it following us around and recording our missions? And blasting it out to the universe, Dallas added. There was a long silence. Maybe, Lydia started, maybe it's not about us. What do you mean? Doug asked. I mean, sure, it's recording the stuff we do, but it's not for our benefit. I don't think it's trying to make us famous. Maybe it's recording what's happening and sharing it to spread... Hope? Doug finished. Lydia nodded. There was another long silence. Hold on. Dallas held up his hand, which had shrunk back down to normal size along with the rest of him. You're telling me that this thing is zipping around the universe, recording our missions, just to give people a warm, fuzzy feeling? Doug looked at him. Well, when you put it that way, it sounds really dumb. You said it, not me. It's more than a warm, fuzzy feeling, Lydia told them. It's inspiring people to do good. To be good. It's as if it was created for that purpose. To inspire and embolden the universe to be the best it could be. And make them laugh? Doug smiled and pointed to a screen that showed Dallas doing his ridiculous cowboy dance. What? 
You mean make them jealous, Dallas said, admiring his moves. Look at me go. Leo pointed to the rocket and then mimed making something with his hands. Who made it? Lydia interpreted. Leo nodded. Who knows? Does it really matter? Do you think it's working? Doug thought out loud. You think other kids on other planets are trying to be better after seeing our missions? Lydia gestured to a screen that showed a bunch of students at the academy. Look at how much the academy has grown in such a short period. That isn't a coincidence. Remember how they were all watching footage of our mission when we were there with them? They're watching our example as if we're role models. And learning from our mistakes, Doug said, slightly embarrassed at the thought of the whole universe witnessing every idiotic thing he'd said and done during their missions. He cringed at the thought of everyone hearing him voice his insecurities. What do we do with it? Dallas finally asked. Nothing, Doug replied. Absolutely nothing. We let it go. Yeah, it's weird to think of something following us around, recording stuff. But if it's working, why mess with a good thing? Lydia smiled at him. Agreed. Dallas and Leo nodded thoughtfully. Then one by one, everyone exited the rocket and flew back down to Goro. How was it? Goro asked as they came to hover in front of him. Amazing. Weird. Inspiring, they all said at once. Goro smiled. Sounds about right. I always had my suspicions, but now I understand why it always felt as though the universe was on our side despite our struggles. We consistently seemed to beat the odds. Captain, do you remember the science project you and Lydia worked on in Mr. Erickson's class back on Earth? The one where you both made bottle rockets? Doug nodded. One of my rocket's fins broke right before launch, and Lydia ran over to help me fix it. I forgot about that, Lydia chuckled, remembering the moment with some amusement. Do you remember what the color of your rocket was? Goro asked Doug. It was purple, Lydia answered for him. Why do you think that was? Doug thought for a moment and said, It could have been the only soda bottle we had around. Or... Or I may have thought I saw something in the sky growing up. Something in my imagination, so I recreated it. And yet, Goro pointed to the rocket stuck above him, it is more than your imagination. I have caught glimpses of it over the years, as I am sure many of you have. It has been there, every step of the way, recording both the small and grand moments of kind gestures we bestow on each other and those around us. It has chosen us, as I am sure it has chosen many others for a time. I don't know when its broadcast of us began or when it will end, but may I suggest, while its lens is focused on us, we make the most of it. Now, Goro glanced at the still complaining rocket man below him. How about we call a prisoner pod to come pick up our muscular friend and head home? Goro told the cadets how to call for a prisoner pod using the space train's cockpit control console, and in short order, a white pill-shaped pod appeared above them. Thinking through the details of the situation, Goro said to put in a request for a plastic pod so it too wouldn't get sucked in and trapped against the side of the magnetized filter ship.
Doug and the others assisted the pod's robotic arms in taking hold of the rocket man. But before he could be removed, Doug deactivated his huge metal gloves, which instantly powered down the entire Fistbot army around them. There was a collective droning sound that quieted as each Fistbot stopped struggling against the magnet's pole and went limp. Then, with the prisoner pod's claws holding the rocket man's arms against the ship, the cadets pulled the man's huge hands out of the gloves and unlatched the chest plate. As it opened, the pod's robot arms pulled the rocket man into the pod, reading him his rights in an automated voice. Maximus Hedra, you are being detained for breaking code 738, 242, 24, 89, 33 through 39 in accordance with galactic law. You have a right to speak with a governing representative upon detention and will be tried in a galactic court before a panel chosen. The voice droned on as it strapped the rocket man to a chair. This isn't part of the plan, the rocket man roared. I was promised fame and glory if I did it. I was told I could have the rocket. It was part of the deal. Ugh, wait! The pod door hissed shut, and with a quiet purr of the engine, the pod drifted up and away until, whoosh, it disappeared into the stars. Doug flew down to the prospective students who had been waiting patiently at the base of the filter ship. He pointed to the filter ship controls. When I hit this button, everything's going to come crashing down, so find cover and someone grab Goro. Like scurrying cockroaches, the kids scattered and took shelter behind the giant purple crystals. Then, making sure he had a good escape route, Doug hit the red button and blasted off away from the filter ship. The massive magnetic pole powered down and all at once, everything came crashing down. The lifeless fist bots, the fish ship, and the space train. Goro was caught mid-fall by Dallas, who swooped in to grab him. Everything piled up at the foot of the filter ship. Everything but the purple rocket. Everyone stopped to watch as it slowly floated away from the filter ship's side, turned to face the stars, and... It vanished in that familiar blur of purple. Blobby and his partner came bouncing up to the cadets, chattering excitedly. Dudes! Dallas accepted their gooey hugs and kisses. You're done morphing? Blobby nodded happily. Guess I'll have to go back to calling you just Blobby or Blobbert. That slimy attack you boogers did back there was pretty sick, dude, Leo. Blobby chattered some more. Uh-huh. Yeah. Whoa. I thought you couldn't understand him, Lydia said out of the side of her mouth. I'm just trying to be polite. Where did the ship come from? Doug asked, pointing to the huge sword-shaped vessel the Gorfies had arrived in, which was still in orbit. Blobby started relaying the story, and Goro translated. Apparently the neighboring planet had seen the broadcast of our stop on Gorf. When they heard that the Gorfies didn't have spaceships, they paid a visit and offered to help. The Gorfies' slime has proven to be a valuable resource to them, so they traded it for spaceships and other technology. Doug and the cadets looked at Blobby stunned. 
All that during a quick vacation? Blobby chirped some more and Goro said, Word travels fast. It's good to have you back, Doug told Blobby. Thanks for your help. Blobby's gelatinous body seemed to smile and salute. Doug looked around at the pile of metal. We better clean up this mess. How about we tow the fish ship and bots back to the academy to use for research? I can get the bots loaded and the ship tied to the back. Dallas, Leo, you guys want to help the students board the train and tell them where we're going? We're on it. After helping Goro back into the cockpit, Dallas and Leo escorted the students onto the space train while Doug and Lydia loaded some of the fist bots and attached the fish ship to the caboose with a cable. What do you think the rocket man meant back there? Lydia asked, clipping the cable onto the back of the caboose. Who promised him all those things? I don't know. All I care about is that he's captured. The magnet was brilliant, Doug, even for you. I wish I could take credit for it. Lydia looked at him confused, but then it dawned on her. The doctor told you to do that? Doug nodded. It was his idea. He told me to mind-build a giant magnet, but to disguise it as something else. I came up with the filter ship, but the magnet was all him. He didn't explain anything. He never really does, but he was right. It's our turn to keep our end of the bargain. They boarded the space train and headed to the cockpit to meet up with the others. As the train lifted off the Nargon surface, red dust blew up in a cloud. Lydia watched the giant purple crystals get smaller and smaller. Goro, shouldn't we take some of the crystals with us? Isn't that what stores and gives the Academy power? Goro relaxed in his chair. It does store energy for the Academy's facilities, yes. But we already have more than we need. The true power of the Academy lies with its students and faculty. The more good people we bring in, the more we can achieve. He looked at Dallas. Are the new students settled into their living quarters? Oh, they're comfortable, all right. One of them stole my room. She's already taping butterfly drawings over my surfing posters. Lydia laughed. Well, it's theirs as much as it is ours. Very true, Lydia, Goro said with a wink. Nonetheless, you are all much more familiar with the train cars, so please see that you show our new students around. We should be back at the academy within the day. About that, Doug stepped forward. Before we head back, we need to make a quick stop. Goro's metal face turned up in surprise. Where to, Captain? Doug shared a quick glance with the other cadets. Arthon. The record-keeping planet? What for? My source's info is what helped us capture the Rocket Man. I need to keep my end of the deal. Goro's face sank. The prisoner in the glass cube. Now that the Rocket Man is contained, may I ask who this source is? Doug hesitated. He could feel himself getting hot. All eyes were on him. It was the doctor. There was a long, painful silence in the cockpit as Goro's conscious crystal processed the information and sent signals to Goro's facial gears. His expression looked horrified. Are you serious? He glanced at the others. Is this true? They all nodded. 
Why would you find it necessary to keep this from me? I, I knew given your history with him, you wouldn't approve. He was our only hope at catching the Rocket Man. I must say, Captain Colt, that was an extremely unwise decision. I can't remember everything, but my interactions with the Doctor run deep, and there are many, all of which tell me he cannot be trusted. But it worked! It's because of him that we stopped the Rocket Man, and we've picked up the students on the list. Goro slowly shook his head. With the Doctor, any help rendered comes at a cost. Always. I'm sorry you didn't have faith in your own abilities to get the job done. Yeah, well, the job is done, and now I have to keep my promise. Which is? To set the Doctor free. Again, Goro looked at him for a long moment, headgear spinning. You realize the potential consequences of such an action? Of course. But I have to keep my word. We'll keep an eye on him. We'll send spy drones to follow him around, and the second we get a whiff of him doing something shady, we'll pounce. Goro sighed and started typing coordinates into the control panel. Setting course for Arthon. Next time, Captain, I would greatly appreciate being included in decisions of this magnitude. I trust your judgment, and it is true that sometimes we have to make difficult decisions for the greater good. Even so, the Doctor? Believe me, I wasn't in love with the idea either. Goro pushed the acceleration lever. Setting course for Arthon. It didn't take long for them to reach Arthon. After passing a long, wispy nebula that looked like the ghost of a giant green snake, the space train's engine slowed and they approached the glass cube that floated just outside the planet. As the cube gained detail, everyone gasped. He's gone, Lydia said, pointing at the empty box. Doug's jaw dropped. Even the guards were gone. No one was patrolling the wraparound platform. He turned and ran out of the cockpit. Doug, where are you going? Lydia called after him. Doug jumped in front of a computer in the computer lab car and quickly woke the screen. He pulled up the video feed of the camera he had planted on the glass cube. As he rewound the footage, Goro and the other cadets came running up behind him. What happened? Lydia said, looking at the screen over her shoulder. Doug stopped the footage on the last images showing the doctor and the cube and pressed play. The doctor's face was pressed up close to the camera. Well done, Douglas, he hissed. Sounds like our plan worked. I told you I would help you catch him. If you are back at my floating prison cell, good for you. You're a man of your word. That's an admirable trait for a captain. But don't you worry. There's no need for you to come break me out. This has been a nice thinking space while I get things sorted. You've done plenty, Douglas. We helped each other read the galaxy of a mutual annoyance. And in addition, you got me the plans and operational details of the Connector. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. A zing of horror shot through Doug. What? I didn't give him that, I swear. The doctor waved into the camera. Ta-ta, Douglas. I'm sure we'll be seeing each other again. 
He turned and rolled his wheelchair over to the cube's glass door. I'm ready. The guards patrolling the cube opened the door for him and helped him into a small spaceship before climbing in themselves. As the ship zipped off into space, leaving nothing but an empty cube in the video feed, Doug stared in disbelief. I don't know what he's talking about. I, I didn't send him the connector's plans or anything about the connector. Goro didn't look pleased. I'm setting a course for the Academy. He turned and headed to the cockpit. Leo patted Doug on the shoulder before turning and following Goro. Dallas went with him. Don't worry, Dougie. We beat him once. We'll beat him again. Lydia stayed behind. She looked more sympathetic than angry. Doug hung his head. You're right. I should have listened to you. Lydia pulled him to his feet. Actually, I think you were right. I think we needed the doctor's info in order to stop the rocket man. You heard him. He was never a prisoner in that cage anyway. So we got the plans for the connector. Big deal. He doesn't have the brilliant minds we have to use it to its full potential. But I don't get it. How did he get the plans? Lydia put her arm around him and started walking him out of the computer lab. When the space train landed back at the academy, the entire school was waiting in the great hall to greet them. There was an eruption of cheers and whistles as the new students were escorted through the doors. The cadet's parents ran up and gave them big hugs. Gorfies bounced around, sliming up the purple crystals jutting down from the ceilings. Scenes of the cadet's mission on Nargon were replaying on a giant projection screen at the end of the hall. Lydia pulled Doug aside. Whoa! Lydia, I think they were about to start carrying us on their shoulders. There was one more thing I didn't tell you from my vision. Doug went pale. Oh no. Stand right here. Lydia moved Doug until he was positioned right in front of a crystal statue of a book. She looked between him and his background as if trying to hang a picture. Move a little to the left, a little more. There, just like that. Let me see. She took a step back to see if the angle matched her vision. That's it. Lydia, Doug laughed. What are you? Lydia gave Doug a kiss on the cheek. Dallas and several other students let out a cat call. Doug turned red. His cheek felt warm and tingly. He touched it. Are you sure your vision didn't include another one on this cheek? Lydia smirked. I'm sure. Cheering some more, the kids around them ran over, lifted them up, and carried them through the crowd along with the rest of the cadets. There were some students wearing McGruff shades and chanting Leo's name. Several others had put pillows in their shirts and were flexing while shouting, Crusher! Crusher! Dallas laughed and flexed for them. Students clicked and chirped for the Gorfies. Sounds of laughter and cheers echoed through the great hall. Doug looked over the sea of heads. Have you guys seen Etho? He asked the others. I need to thank him for his help. Lydia looked around herself. I haven't. Everyone else was too caught up in the excitement to answer. So Doug and Lydia stepped away from the crowd and asked a chef bot who was observing from the sidelines. I do not believe Etho is present, Captain, the chef bot replied. 
He was last seen winding down the connector after your latest mission. I can put out a call if you wish. I got it, thanks. Doug and Lydia hurried down the halls until they reached the connector room. The giant spindle in the middle of the room was still pulsing from the power down. Doug could feel its energy still lingering in the air. He glanced around at the hive seats along the walls and imagined all the students who had been plugged in helping him create the giant magnet. It was strange to be able to see them in his mind and connect with their thoughts and then to be back here in person. Etho, you in here? He and Lydia walked around the spindle, but the room was empty. Lydia stopped at the little computer screen at the base of the connector. Doug, look. Doug walked over and saw a message flashing on the screen. Download complete. Doug's stomach squirmed. He closed the message and pulled up the surveillance footage from the room's camera. He rewound the video until he saw someone in the room and then pressed play. He and Lydia watched as Etho checked over his shoulders before inserting a chip into the connector's computer. Even though the footage was zoomed out, Doug could tell the boy was nervous. When the download was complete, Etho removed his chip from the computer and hurried out. Does this mean... Lydia started to say, but she didn't need to finish. Doug quickly brought up footage from the Academy's escape pod hangar surveillance camera and rewound it until he saw Etho running into the large facility, hopping into one of the escape pods, and blasting off into space. Both Doug and Lydia stared at the footage in shock. Etho was working for the doctor? Lydia whispered. Doug wasn't sure if he should be furious or impressed. He had used the doctor to accomplish his needs, just as the doctor had used him. It's like he's always said, he has his sources. Lydia took Doug by the hand. We'll figure it out. We always do. Doug glanced down at their joined hands and back up at Lydia's cute, freckled face. My ears are still ringing from that party in the Grey Hall. Want to grab a shake in the cafe? Lydia smiled. I'd love that. But you'll have to catch me in my hovering table first. <laughs> Please, I'm going to fly laps around your table and make you spill your shake all over. Oh, 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 hold on. I'm getting a vision, Lydia joked, touching her temples. I see you in your hovering table, stuck on the ceiling, crying for your mommy. <laughs> yeah, right. Laughing, Doug and Lydia walked out of the connector room, hand in hand.
Rocketeers, I hope you enjoyed that season finale of Space Train Season 2. I hope you liked that season as a whole. I had a blast writing that season, and Mom, Roxanne Webb, was a huge help editing the story and helping me kind of talk through some ideas and and last-minute changes. So thanks so much, Mom, and thank you, Jeremy, from HarmoniousIdeas.com for helping edit the audio I want to give a special thanks to some patrons, Hope and John from Canada. Thank you so much for your support. And I want to thank all the patrons out there who are helping support the show. Thank you so much. Rocketeers, you can go to patreon.com slash purple rocket podcast if you want to support the show and get some extra bedtime stories. So check it out. And I have to point out just one review here on Apple Podcasts. Uh, because it was kind of an important one. I, I scrolled through the other day and I saw this one that said, Echo? Question marks. And it was five stars, so thank you for the five stars. It says, who's Echo? Etho? And then when I saw that, my heart just sank. And I'm like, oh no, I screwed up Etho's name. I did, didn't I? And I went back and I checked after the I introduced Etho to the story, after like two episodes of mentioning his name, I, my brain just malfunctioned and started, I started calling him Echo. I knew it felt wrong. I knew it felt wrong. So at first, I'm not going to lie, I was going to cheat and have the kids say something about Echo. And then Gore would be like, Echo, you realize his name is Etho, right? You know, I was going to do something like that. But uh, I, I realized when I went back that even Goro screws up the name and calls Etho Echo and the narrator does. So reviewer, I know your name's not in there, but thank you so much for pointing this out. I went back and re-recorded all those lines that I screwed up and changed Echo to Etho. And so those who've already downloaded those episodes, I don't know how that works. Sometimes the, the those changes might not show up, but anybody who's listening for the first time a little later on, who I don't know, though that change should be reflected in the stories. But in case any of you are confused out there, Etho and Echo are, are the same person uh, when I screwed up that name recording those episodes. Ah! Oh my gosh, I did that when I was first starting the podcast and I was doing the four series at once. I kept screwing up. I think it was Lydia and Susie. Susie from Grandpa's Globe. I think I screwed up their names a couple times. I swapped them out and a couple listeners called me out. You don't have to point out every one of my errors, guys, but that's a good one to point out. Like that one needed to change for sure. But anyway, whew, thank you so much for catching that. I'm sure there are a million more mistakes like that, but that was a pretty big one. It was funny how, uh, you know, Doug and Lydia's story just evolved and became more and more fun as I was writing it. And it really made me have flashbacks to my crush in elementary school. I remember I had a crush in fifth and sixth grade who actually had red hair like Lydia. Um, you know, and I'm going to tell this story because I'm not worried. I'm sure she and her kids are not not listening to this podcast. So I'm not even remotely worried about sharing this story, but it's hilarious. So her dad was my teacher in sixth grade and I loved her dad. Amazing guy. And uh, But there was the tension there because I didn't want to admit that I liked her and like, we kind of liked each other, didn't want to say anything. And her dad clearly knew and was, you know, would give me these smirks, like to make little comments and just, oh man, I just, I knew, I knew he knew, but I was like terrified, but he was the coolest guy. He was the coolest guy ever. Anyway, I'll never forget. This is just a random story, but it popped into my head. I got to share it. I remember we played kickball for like recess or like PE or something. And this crush was on the other team and I was up 
to kick the ball. And and I'm not like an unathletic person, but for whatever reason, maybe like I was distracted by her being like on third base or something, right? And I struck out in kickball, you guys. It was really... <laughs> It was, I like whiffed it. I like, you can't look more pathetic than whiffing on a kickball pitch that's like rolled your way. And so I'm like, I'm laughing and, you know, and just, I was, I'm I'm a goofball, but I was just dying. I was laughing so hard. And I picked up the base, the home base, which was like a little rug. And I like frisbee threw it through the air. I'm like, oh no. And I threw it and I went, whack. And it hit my crush in the head on third base and her red hair just like whiplashed. And I'm like, oh, and I like froze. I'm like, oh, and she kind of laughed a little bit. She's like, oh, and then started like crying and ran off. And I felt, and immediately I was like, oh, it went quiet on the kickball field. And her best friend looked at me. She's like, good job, Greg. You hit the love of your life. And then she went chasing her friend off and everybody just sat there staring <laughs> staring at me oh and i'm sure i apologize but wow i'll never forget how embarrassed i felt that moment those feelings are intense they're intense but just looking back at those like elementary school crushes or whatever whatever like it's just so funny so many funny stories looking back at that time and that moment specifically oh too good not to share i had to share so funny anyway Rocketeers, I'm sure you've got plenty of your own funny stories. You should turn them into your own stories and write them down. Draw pictures. Keep a journal. I wish I would have kept a journal. Some of these stories are just floating around my head, but I'm sure I have a million more of them that I've forgotten about. Keep a journal. Share them with your family at dinner time. Let them know about the funny or silly or wacky things that happen during your day and have a conversation with your family at dinner time and, and swap stories. It's fun. Thank you so much for listening to this season. I hope you're going to enjoy what's coming next. I'll announce it soon, so stay tuned. Till next time, Rocketeers, this is your host, Greg Webb.